Aloha, I'm Marcia Sortino. Welcome to Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. To all our regular listeners, thank you for coming back. To all our new listeners, congratulations. You just discovered one of the most powerful talk radio shows there is. As we get ready for this class, I suggest you find something to take notes with. Every show is packed with all sorts of inspiring, insightful ideas, ahas, and breakthroughs. While you find some paper and a pen, I wonder, how many people do you know are paid to learn, then paid to teach what they learn? I'll put that another way. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. By the time I complete my class as a student, the money I'm paid to teach Pay Me What I'm Worth will cover what I paid Seoul University, and then some. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how to become a paid student and teacher for this life-changing journey. It's time to meet my class. We decided to be collectively known as Team Seekers. Here they are. This is Cindy Ashwine from Slingerlands, New York. Thank you for joining us on our radio show. I hope that you will be inspired by what you hear today. Kyle Davis, Lewiston, Maine. Hey, everybody. Green Mays, and I am from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is David H. Paul from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hello, Chris Peters, and I'm from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Aloha. This is Rick Rodriguez from the Big Island of Hawaii. Aloha. Cheryl here, coming to you from the Big Island of Hawaii, where we have lots of beautiful waterfalls, rainbows, and a live volcano. Hello, everybody. This is Agnes Talley in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're the home of the dogwood tree with its beautiful white flowers in the spring of the year. And finally, aloha. Sol here, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth and Marsha's co-pilot on this journey. I hope we've given you enough time to grab a pad of paper and a pen to take notes. Our class starts now. Marcia, when you first joined Team Clarity, we started exploring the concept of the Chaos Committee. Do you recall what some of your initial thoughts were about the Chaos Committee? <laughs> I certainly knew the Chaos Committee of Worry, then I learned more about the different aspects of the Chaos Committee. Even though in the chapter we talk about doubt, shame, guilt, and worry, there's so many other little personalities running around in that Chaos Committee that we could probably give them names. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that, but yeah, I realized how. We've been talking about the Chaos Committee. How many of you recall some of the Chaos Committee members that we've already identified? Oh, yeah. Top on the list for me is the analyzer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. The perfectionist. Yep. Who else? The controller. The controller. <laughs> yeah. The controller has a cousin by the name of Competitor. You probably have all met the competitor in your life at some point in time, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Most of us don't want to talk about this one, but we have the victim. Oh, yeah. Ah, that's a powerful (laughs) one. Yes, victim, very powerful. 
Carl? Procrastinator. That's I me. Never. Yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> but it's not right. The only yeah. person who has the procrastinator on his chaos committee, right? <laughs> the hero. The hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The hero. Yep. Okay. Keep going. The black sheep. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The lone wolf. <laughs> We've got a good committee going here. Let let us not forget the critic, of course. Oh, know, yeah. The critic can't possibly be missing from any chaos committee meeting. The doubter. The doubter. Ooh, yeah. yes. No doubt. No doubt about it. <laughs> okay, I'm muting Carl now. I'm going to mute Carl. Okay. <laughs> he beat me to it. <laughs> All right, so we've got all sorts of committee members that we just talked about, right? Right. Yeah. Those are our players in our whack-a-mole ethical timeless timeline guides. Whack-a-mole time. Each of those committee members is a mole. On top of page 133, where I offer you three guidelines as to how we can pay other people what they're worth, Each one of those committee members are going to wreak havoc on those guidelines. Let's get into that. Who wants to take a stab at their favorite committee member? Of that committee member, which of those guidelines do you think that committee member would have a raging fit about? (laughs) My judge has a serious hang-up over honestly do the best in this moment. Just do the best you can with what you have. Well, how's that working for you? <laughs> well, geez, you only got 50 years on that timeline. When was the last time that the ends met? You actually felt good about it. Really? Come on. Ooh, that's a wicked <laughs> judge. <laughs> wow. Good example. We've kicked it off. Who's next? By the way, we can use guidelines over and over again. They apply to, I think, just about every whack-a-mole mole, so... As soon as you whack one mole down, the other mole will pop up. <laughs> Take a stab at it. Okay. The one I'm looking at is it's the end of the day observation exercise where you sit quietly and review what you did and you honor your worth. Be real and you're gentle and you're aware. You're clear-minded. I can't see the analyzer being cool with that because the analyzer is going to butt in. My analyzer is going to say, oh, well, Kareem, but, you know, you did this wrong. You could have done this better. Here's, you know, ten ways. I'm like, ah, and here's ten extra ways you could and stop being all meditative and stuff. <laughs> and I'm using you as in the analyzer talking to me. So. Oh, yeah. Excellent. You, you know. I'm glad you broadened it to all of Exercise 24. You're reading my mind, Kareem. I was going to expand this to all of Exercise 24. Nice job. So anybody else who wants to t- expand it outside the guidelines, go for it. <laughs> Got clairvoyant there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to whack the mole that's called the judge here. Mm-hmm. Say that for the judge to just ask can be a real problem. Mm. Because the judge thinks that she knows already what's going on and then to have to ask that's like 
What am I asking? <laughs> Why do I need to ask? Especially when your judge is having tea with the perfectionist, and the perfectionist already knows everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. I'll take a stab at that perfectionist. All right. Doing audio files, but he tells me, just go and take the ands and the ums and the buts and the whatever out and all that. But my perfectionist says, no. <laughs> it says, you got to do it, and then you got to do it again because it's not perfect. It's overanalyzing it over, over, overly. <laughs> oh, there's another committee member, the overanalyzer. We've got the analyzer. <laughs> but now we've got the, the manager of the analyzer, which is the overanalyzer. Yes. Uh-oh. I've been caught. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I got one for never assume, but it kind of okay. plays on all three. I'm going to whack a mole my victim, and the victim never assume. But if I don't assume, how the heck am I ever going to know? Or uh, uh, I'm not going to ask anybody. I, they're going to treat me like crap, like they always do. Well, how in the world am I supposed to honestly do what I meant to do, and not somebody tells me? <laughs> Gosh, I have to assume because I have no idea what anybody else is. I have to assume. I have no other choice. Nasty little because, loop there. Because those people are just going to treat me like crap no matter what. Mm-hmm. Boy, yikes. Get on that treadmill, huh? <laughs> Good one. What's my point with this little exploration of whack-a-mole committee members of the chaos variety? What do you think I'm trying to get into here? I think you're trying to give different ways and reasonable alternatives to when these chaos people come up that you can knock them down without having so much like disturbance in your life. Like you just go, oh, the analyzer's creeping up. Boop, done. The sound effects uh, were addition. Very good. Instead of whacking it, pop them. <laughs> <laughs> pop them all. Pop them all. I think this is helping us oh. become aware. Aware of the different feelings, ways that the chaos committee can hit us. Once we're aware, we know what to do. Bingo. Give them a pop. That's what you do. <laughs> What other thoughts, reflections, what happens when our timeless self gets in touch with our chaos committee? The chaos committee is all the more ready to put a price on it. True? True. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Chaos committee gets, tries to get stronger and, oh, no, we're not going there. When I <laughs> get enough sleep, get enough rest, drink enough water, get the proper nutrition, stay away from the bullshit, all the <laughs> that I feel is affecting me, then there is no chaos committee. The chaos committee is like a fabrication that we make up to say, oh, you know, it's, a, it's an analyzer, it's that this, it's that. Allow in. Yeah, that we allow in. There's really no such thing as it, you know. That's true. It's something that we make up and that we identify. And then once I <laughs> am healthy... Grounded, centered, balanced, there's no such thing. Once you identify them, once yeah, I Yeah, once you know it's there, it's, it's gone, baby. Yeah. There's nothing to it. You're healthy. The chaos committee 
for me has been when I, I'm not there, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I'm not in the present. I notice my chaos committee comes when I'm in sometimes the R complex, just reactive, or I'm angry, just in the reactive brain part. When I get out of that, take a couple of deep breaths, and I turn the R complex, the analyzer, the perfectionist, all that stuff off. I'm not as reaction when bad things or something I perceive as bad happens. Not only that, I'm able to connect with my higher self more and look at things from a different perspective that doesn't make me a victim or doesn't make me somebody who has to figure everything out that moment. And it works out a lot better. At the beginning of the book, you recall that I said you can afford doubt, guilt, shame, and worry if you can write a check for $100 trillion per instance, and that check is cashable, correct? Remember that? Correct. Yep. When we stop and factor in the cost or costs of doubt, guilt, shame, worry, judge, critic, perfectionist, controller, analyzer, etc., 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 you start calculating the just cost, time, respect, reputation, love, the physical health aspects, right? It adds up, doesn't it? Yes. I was just reading a study not too long ago right now. In the year of 2014, according to this study, a average cost of a heart attack in the United States is now over $350,000. Wow. For those lucky enough to have insurance. That's an expensive death. We've got health care. Move to Canada. <laughs> That's still expensive so, death. When someone has a heart attack, when someone has a debilitating illness due to stress, that stress has caused them to be too tired, too angry, act out of vengeance, not clear judgment, right? When, that, right. when I have an accident, that accident impacts more than just me, doesn't it? Oh, yes. If I add up the amount of time, money, costs of other people on top of it, do you begin to see how the cost of everything, the more we become aware of how to just simply ask, simply ask and never assume, number one guidelines automatically taking care of itself. We automatically will be doing our best with what we have in every moment. Did that make any sense, or did I jump track there for anybody? Makes sense to me. Yeah, I got it. Guideline number one recognizes the fact that literally every moment of every day, our bar or our best fluctuates. True? True. It fluctuates based yep. on how much food have I eaten, how much water have I drank, how much rest have I Do I have a roof over my head? Do I feel safe? Basic Maslow hierarchy of needs are met, then I can move up the bar a little bit more. Follow? Yep. Mm -hmm. That's right. If I find myself literally homeless with no food, no water, no one looks at me like I have any worth whatsoever, my best in that moment might be not to slit your throat. Mm. Yeah. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where I'm going with this is yeah. I'll recall a time when in one of the traditions of which I'm a monk of that order, they teach 
me and others as apostles that it's perfectly fine that if we see someone completely asleep to go slap them upside the head with whatever force we deem necessary to wake them up. That is a perfectly acceptable way of waking someone up in that order. I sat down with the head of that order and I said, while I will always be grateful for being allowed to say that I'm a monk of this order, I will never, ever physically strike anyone, no matter how much they tell me it has helped them wake up. I will never strike anyone because I see violence and any violent action as a failure on my part to be compassionate, period. The head of that order looked at me with such rage, but yet with such gladness, all in one. (laughs) When I stop and I look at the notion that any feeling that causes me to lose track of gratitude and compassion, any feeling that causes me to lose track of gratitude and compassion blinds my ability to be aware. Thoughts? To find compassion. What's your definition of compassion, Rick? I'm trying to think what my definition of compassion is. I was explaining to Cheryl the other day that I told five parents that their infants have died. I was the one elected to go out into the hallway and look them straight in the face when their little babies came into the operating room. I had to tell them that, I'm sorry, but your son or your daughter didn't make it because we were trying to fix their ears. It was some really ridiculous reason they're in there every time, okay? It wasn't that they got squished or anything like that. Now, I was not considered a compassionate person in the OR as far as like, oh, Rick's so compassionate, send him out there. They were like, send Rodriguez out there. He will be able to look these people in the eye and tell them the truth. I would call that a compassionate act. You were being real, right? Yes. In that moment, with those parents, you were giving them the facts as you knew them without any buttering up or flowering or anything like that, and you knew that it had to be said, correct? Yeah. Okay. Let's not mix apples with oranges with yet another situation that might flavor that particular instance. In that moment, you did the best with what you had, right? Yep. I agree. Yes. What's your next instance? Let's take that same example. Rick, I'm the doctor. You're the parent. Your kids died. I come up to you and I start fancy dancing all around you. I can't bring myself to tell you the truth. How are you as the father going to feel about me? You shouldn't be a doctor. I think I'm being compassionate with you. I think I'm being very gentle. And I think that my way of trying to tell you your kid died is the best way to tell you. But your gut tells you something's wrong, right? Yeah. Yep. Compassion, ladies and gentlemen. Let me ask this. Chris, let's say I see you out on the street. You're homeless. You need food. I hand you a can of soup. In my mind, I've fed you. I hand you a can of soup and I walk away. This is the old-fashioned can of soup where you need a can opener, not some of the newfangled ones where you can just pop the top off. Mm -hmm. So the old can of soup that you've got to have a can opener of some got to get into that can somehow to get the soup. In my mind, because I handed you that can of soup, I've fed you. Am I being compassionate? Well, no, because you obviously didn't think the whole thing through before you handed it to me. You were just trying to 
I'd say you were trying to show compassion in a nonchalant way, just a passive way. Oh, I gave him a can of soup without really thinking, wow, does he have anything in his cart or those bags to open that can with? See, I would be more thoughtful. I'd be like, hey, man, I'm going to give you some food. Yeah, I got some soup here. I got some, I'd give him something that he could actually eat right then and there. And I'd probably give him some non-perishables and say, hey, by the way, do you have a can opener? That's the difference. On page 133, based on what Chris just said, we skipped two guidelines. Ask me if I wanted food. <laughs> yes, and never assume. As we get into this whole thing about cost, time, money, reputation, respect, love, yep. health, all of these different costs, how has this chapter helped you become more aware of the price that you're paying to live? I don't have the chaos committee banging the drums in my flipping head all the time anymore. I don't have any kinds of those second guesses because I know that I want to attract those people by being the best person. So it's whatever you send out, you get, right? I'm just thinking on Rick's level here, that's exactly the kind of vibrations I don't want to be in so that I don't meet those kinds of people. I only meet the right people. That's exciting news because just this round one of this journey, Chris, you have seen such a transformation and your mom is seeing it in you too. So it's Obviously not just in your own head, right? Yep. My goal with this chapter, as we become more awake and aware to the cost of everything, I'm wondering if many of you have begun to look at just what types of agreements you're really ready to make. You mean with yourselves? Yeah. With yourself or with anybody else? Marsha, you kind of know where I'm going with this because you know we're going to be getting into Chapter 8, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a major epiphany this last week with myself. Many of you have seen all the movies lately that have been all biographical movies about Steve Jobs, how Steve Jobs was this master visionary and he was on this mission and he tended to treat his people like complete crap. He tended yeah. to treat his employees like dirt. It was really interesting because when I first saw that movie, and I, or I've seen some of those depictions, I thought, but gosh, he's a visionary. He got this thing, and he's just not going to take second best. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So I tried it on. This last week, I got a chance to reflect back on trying that on. I don't like how I feel at all. <laughs> I really don't. I don't like feeling like a bully. I don't like feeling like an ass. I don't like feeling like the boss is going to give it to you if you don't get it right. It doesn't feel good at all. And for me, that's my measure is how I feel. I publicly went and made some apologies. That that's not how we're going to do things. That's not how I'm going to do things. We're going to have standards, but we're also going to have forgiveness as one of our standards. I'm going to forgive myself now publicly and let you all know that I'm deeply sorry. We're going to move on. I just felt the need to share that with you guys. I'm excited that you have, David, because this reiterates. Do you see how Chapter 6, the focus on forgiveness, builds into Chapter 7, the focus on cost? Yeah, absolutely. 100% builds right in. Yeah. Marsha, you were saying in our last class how if it weren't for Chapter 6 or the concept of forgiveness, I'm certainly not going to take credit for the concept of forgiveness, the fact that you got in touch with your ability to truly, genuinely release and forgive yourself 
allowed you to own up to costs that you've paid with far less pain and suffering. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. If it were not for understanding, being able to look at my part and then what I actually paid to learn those lessons, I never even realized how much I deeply paid for those lessons to be learned, but I did. It was the best thing for me to ever do was to know that I learned and paid for those lessons. It didn't hurt because I realized how much I released through all that, through doing the timeline, through actually looking at myself and looking at the timeline and the situations and everything. And it was like, wow, that's why I said, when it blew up, it felt so good because it was boof gone. That feeling of any kind of anger, resentment, gone. I allowed it to kind of blow up, and that's it. Goodbye. (laughs) Who else has experienced release of something that they didn't think that they were ever going to release while you've been on this journey? I used to have the problem of always analyzing up and down everything. Even when I told myself I wasn't, I kept doing it and doing it. How am I ever going to get over this? Because it's kind of a dualistic tendency of looking back at something, trying to feel something, but then thinking about it. I didn't know what I was doing. Sometimes I would get annoyed because I took time analyzing situations already in the past that I couldn't do anything about. Gradually, little by little, I just started playing whack-a-mole a little <laughs> bit each day. Or pop-a-mole. Mm-hmm. Cool. I see my music has improved. I'm getting skills back. I didn't know I had them, creating new skills out of that. It's a lot easier when when I'm not looking at everything, trying to figure out why, the what, and the how, because funny enough, those things come naturally if I don't have to push them. Bingo. I find that I'm allowing myself to just be so relaxing. All those other things that are the opposite of worrying or the opposite of all these little moles that pop up. It's just the state of being where I can enjoy relaxing. I can enjoy being in the moment more so than ever before because I can release it on a daily basis. I don't hold things in anymore. I don't need to. That's huge, Marcia. Yeah. That's huge. Has anybody else found themselves lessening their grip on holding things in, meaning are you finding it more easy to open up that grip and let things go? Oh, I sure am. When I catch myself analyzing the crap out of everything, I'll get go into that and I'll catch myself. And take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, just watch. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder how far I'll go. Hmm. <laughs> 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 Instead of just being so wrapped up into it, I'm stepped back. I'm just observing. I'm in a, in a different place. That analyzer is like the biggest, it's for me, the biggest of those parties. It needs the wet. That's, yeah. that's your biggest mole? <laughs> yeah, that one, that one needs the big old rubber mallet quite often. <laughs> now, Chris, if I'm hearing you correctly, what I'm observing, you've released a lot of anger. Yeah. Metal music is a constant, too, because it got me through so many things. That's why I won't forget where I came from. 
that side of me is, is also very important because it's part of my identity, but it's also there to remind me of everything I have to be grateful for. It's a very in-depth thing, because what I'm doing with this. It all just coincides to make me a better person. Do I have your permission to make what I call a surgical observation? Uh, yeah. I'm ready for anything from you, my man. I'm going to apply this observation to the entire team. If I have one thing in my life, no matter what it is, whether it's music, whether it's a object, whether it's a dream, whether it's a person, a place, a thing, a pet, doesn't matter. If I have one thing that keeps me grounded, I lose it. What happens? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, worth decay, the concept of my worth decaying is premised on attachment to something. If I have one thing in my life that I know I can go to, will always be my fail-safe. Then I find all of a sudden I can no longer do it. For example, earlier in our journey, Agnes was sharing with us her insights about how she used to be able to play the piano. She found great comfort and joy in playing that piano. Now that ability, because of her age and what's happening to her, she's no longer able to play that piano. I think everybody heard in her voice the pain she was feeling by knowing that she can't play the piano anymore. True? Absolutely. It was palpable how painful that was for her. My point, if there's one thing in my life that I go to, whether it's music, objects, people, places, it does not matter what that one thing is. If for some reason I'm no longer able to go to that one thing, what happens? Chaos, crisis, meltdown, depression. Bad stuff. Yeah, not good things. So removing all those attachments, the attachments that I think that make me worth something is really important to do, to release, just learn how to be. It's so important because it's only within me that I can find myself. I can't find it on the external world. It's within me. Yep. Chris, what are you hearing? I'm hearing people who walked various paths of life very similar to my own. I've met everyone here for a reason. We're all here to inspire one another. I met you for a reason, Saul. We all met you for a reason. I'm hearing and feeling that nothing is accidental. When you have a vision and you have something that beholds you and captivates you, Chris, I'm curious. Yes, sir. If all of a sudden you were unable to enjoy your music, for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance, what would happen to you? I don't know, honestly. Why am I bringing this surgical question up? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you're welcome to chime in. Uh-oh. What observations here? You all are talented, wise people. What am I getting to? This is a really important that, point. I think it's pretty clear when I have attachments, period, as long as I'm attached to it in For example, being so attached to the success of my business or the success of my organization, just being so wrapped into that, that goes to hell in a handbasket. I'm devastated. What if I were able to have a lot of fun with it, but find a way to get detached from it? In other words, I'm okay with whatever the outcomes turn out to be. I'm hootless about it. And there's a shift there. 
there's a shift over there. I'll enjoy it while it lasts, but when it's gone, I'm going to still have that experience of the joy because I'm not necessarily all hung up on continuing it. It's not my addiction anymore. It's my pleasure for today instead. The reason that I don't know what I'd do without music is because it's such a soulful thing, well, especially the music I listen to, that I've got such a connection to it. The people that create it, they've brought so much meaning and enrichment to my life that I feel like I'd lost someone I really loved and cared about. My point here is, ladies and gentlemen, it's okay for me or Chris or you or anybody else, it's okay to be fixated or attached to anything providing I'm aware of that level of attachment. Yes. Yeah. If I'm not aware of it, then all of a sudden, boom, whatever it is that I'm attached to is gone. You want to talk about total chaos and meltdown, right? That's what happened. Yep. The point with Chapter 7 is we have a get-out-of-jail-free card. We're timeless beings. True? Or false in your book? True. We cannot get it wrong. We're never going to get it all done. Very true. Two out of eight. True. According to what we've been told, I have no real conscious experience or experience in this lifetime of any of that, of that, that this shit's not going to end in two seconds, or that it already ended and I'm living in the vapor. I have no idea. I'm not sure about it. At one time, I was really sure on that. But now, since I've taken this course, actually, I'm not sure of any of that. None of it. Connect Cheryl now. Zero. Yes. And yes. Because, yes. Ah, so that's your source of worth decay, Rick. Affirmation. I really prefer to not have a faith-based mentality. Rick, if you've got to be able to touch it, taste it, see it, smell it, hear it, poop or pee it, or feel it in some way. If that doesn't happen for you, now what? Okay. Now, <laughs> you may not know that I'm a soul traveler, okay? I don't necessarily have to taste, feel, see. I can sense stuff like that. And I taught the class on astral travel several times, how to leave your body, expand your consciousness, whatever you want to call it. That doesn't necessarily mean I need affirmation, that I can go through a wall, because I know I can. No, 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 we're comparing apples and oranges. I guess what I'm trying to get across is this certainly isn't the edict according to Soul Dancer. It's a notion to play with. We're timeless beings. Rick, as a soul traveler, do you sense that there is a timelessness to your soul? Sometimes I have the feeling that possibly because I can travel in the past, in the future, in the sideways, and all like that, that possibly it could be something to it, maybe. But I haven't proved it to myself, no. That's what I'm saying is the worth decay of a concept. If it has to be proven, there starts the worth decay. Everything has to be proven to me. My thought process here, one of the really deep, I mean, we're talking seriously deep aspects of this program. If I'm sensing a deadline, when I explore that deadline, I want to know where that deadline's coming. Who's placing that deadline? Is it my analyzer? Is it my judge? Is it my critic? Where's that deadline coming from? Doubter. The doubter, the shamer. Where's that deadline? How many programs 
use doubt, guilt, shame, and worry to push you through a process on their timeline. I see what you're saying. I understand now. You don't have to do it all right now. You can just Correct. It. That's what they're trying to tell you. You don't got to do it all right now, dude. There's another day. There's another exactly. time. You're timeless. Your spirit, your soul. That's what they've always told us. Yes, they have. Even though Marcia and I have put bookends on this program of 12 months, you all are taking this journey at whatever speed you want to take it at. Have I demanded that you get X by Z done by Y by... I've never demanded you to get anything done by a certain timeline. True? True. 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 How many programs allow you to step in and go, in this moment in time, I'm just going to dip my toe into the pool just to see what it's going to be like, knowing that at any moment in time, you can go dive into the deep end whenever you want to. (laughs) I don't know of any other programs like that. So. It's Most tricky. programs have a time limit. Most programs have you doing something on a weekly basis, and if you don't do it, oh, you might feel a little bit of judgment or criticism or even that shame will come into play. I've been in those programs. It doesn't feel good because I don't feel that I'm free. I'm feeling kind of... Happy, mad, glad, sad, constrained. I'm trying to think of the exact word. I'm feeling pressured. I don't like being in that kind of a program where I'm feeling pressured. Controlled, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to all be aware that in Chapter 7, pricing the priceless, getting into a timeless mentality, if you have felt any pressure on yourself to do anything in Pay Me What I'm Worth, Where's that pressure coming from? Yourself. My yep. judge. Yep. yep. My victim. <laughs> my analyzer. My ego. Which is more effective for you in life? Do you want Marcia and I to be a cheerleader for you the rest of your life? Ra rah, go, go, good job. Yay, good job. Good. Ra rah, good job. Yay, good job. And then we eventually die, and your rah, rah team is gone. Now what's going to happen? Exactly. Uh-oh. That's why I keep saying it has to come from within me. It's already got to be within me. The movement, the spirit of what I want for myself, it's going to come from flowing within me. I have to be the one to decide what do I want, how fast do I want it. Bingo. 74% of the people that complete this one-year journey never take it again, even though they profess and have put in writing they're going to do this journey over and over again. When I touch back with them a year later, two years later, three years later, four years later, how's it going? Did you ever start your journey again? I do not hear back. Wow. 74%. I keep statistics. So I'm going to be really mindful as we're coming upon the winding down of our journey, being realistic with you that it may take you the next 35 years of your life to absorb what you just went through in one year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
they say that the quickest way to learn something is to do it again, right? Yeah. And teach it. I don't plan on going anywhere. I'm, I'm bringing this. this up because as you start looking at time, and as we begin to wrap up our time tonight, as you start looking at time, it is the paradox of knowing that we have eternal time to do whatever we want. At the same time, we're drawn to get certain things done by a certain time. <laughs> I am very impressed with you all for hanging in there. <laughs> we dove deep, really deep. We're awesome. I know that- we did. I still look at that word timeless and priceless, and I go, oh, my gosh. If I had to analyze that, I'd go out of my mind. So I'm not going <laughs> to analyze it. I'm just going to discover it. <laughs> I, too, am just blown away at what I've gathered and learned. Tonight, you guys have blown my freaking mind. And <laughs> just, just I want to just bow in gratitude. Yeah. Thank you so much. What a gift. <laughs> Can't wait to bring it to my next call. <laughs> you can put a blog out there for us. All right. Thank you, David. Looking at timeless moments, moments that I can't capture with time, because something can feel so long ago, it just happened maybe the next day, and something can feel exactly the opposite of that for me. Is time, not the concept of time like saying it's 6 p.m. right now, is essentially time an illusion, really, as I believe, as is the present moment really all that there is? And I would say yes. Yep, I would agree with you, Kareem, and that's something you actually really helped me learn. Definitely a big aha moment for me is just living in the moment and being happy in the moment, not worrying about today or thinking about yesterday. Or I know that as a person, I've always tried to live ahead of things instead of in them. I'm always planning something so that something doesn't go wrong. can't do that. That's definitely a gift I can pass on is all the stuff I'm learning about me and how I'm changing, if someone's open to it, of course. Yum! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> My aha moment with this whole group has been how much love and how much togetherness and how much everybody is just coming together. It's really an amazing thing to me. It's a lot of fun. It can be fun. That you can go to a place. What do they say, Marsha? Make a. People will listen to you and try to understand. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing, Marsha. And all of us. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) The one thing that I gain, I gain so much out of doing the audio files because I get to listen to you guys. And it's like it embeds in my mind a lot of great stuff that, probably would have overlooked. Then being on the calls on the live, that's even so much better because I get to feel your vibrations because we're all vibrational beings. The one thing that I take away from every call is the power and the strength that comes from Rick, that comes from Chris, that comes from each and every one of you. You all have your own powerful vibration. I get a lot out of this call. This right here really gets me think things over a whole lot more than I would have thought them over. And I want to thank you all. My aha moment in this chapter, everybody talks about 
vibrations, which I sort of understand vibrations. I think what has amazed me the most, especially in this chapter, when we're talking about timelessness and timeless moments, is I had a chance to rediscover some of the timeless moments in my life that will always be there with me. I look at the fact that I'm so enjoying how I'm allowing myself to just be and allowing the universe to just unfold for me whatever it has in store, that I don't have to be the person pushing that rock up the hill, that I can feel that movement. I say to myself, wow, it's amazing. I look at God and I say, you are an amazing, amazing person in my life. To me, that is what I've and getting out of this whole chapter is that I can just have that ability to open up, allow myself to be now. <sighs> that, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> we'll wrap up with the notion of as you do your seventh page of your worth passport, savor something. Savor it. Savor this journey somehow, whether that's enjoying an ice cream cone or a long hot bath or a rainbow or something. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be expensive. But take a moment. Allow yourself to savor how much you've traveled in such a short amount of time. Deal? Deal. 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 I'll have a nice cream Deal. Time to close this class. What did you get out of this show? We truly want to know. Simply post in the comment box at the bottom of this page. After hearing so many people experience so many ahas, I wonder, are you ready to take this class yourself? We start new classes each time we have 12 or more people ready to go. You're listening to Marcia Sortino, Team Seekers, Team Captain. Get in touch to learn how to become one of Pay Me What I'm Worth's paid instructors today. And remember, before you go, think about who else would enjoy our classes. Post this show on your social networking sites to help more people enjoy some weekly wit and wisdom. Aloha.